As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. It's time for another Financial Choices Matter podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Charles Scott. He is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you throughout the Scottsdale area. You can find us online at pelotoncapital.com. Charles, how's life treating you? It's pretty decent, Walter. I can't complain. I guess I should, but I won't. I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not a complainer, Charles. We're not gonna. <laughs> oh, don't tell, don't tell my wife. She will disagree heartily with you. We're, we're not gonna let you go down that road on the podcast. No worries. We're we're gonna keep it positive, uh, at least out of the gate for today's show. <laughs> Uh, lots of good stuff to get it, to. I can run it into the gutter in no time. That's so right. Just give me a chance. Well, we'll see. We'll see what we can do with that. Oh, man. Lots of good stuff on the way for today's show. We've got a good question in our uh, mailbag section of the program from Danica. Uh, she's wondering about life insurance as an investment. We'll get uh, Charles's take on that conversation. Plus, what are some of the unique planning challenges that Charles comes across uh, through his uh, practice and helping people kind of navigate their way through retirement? What are some of the situations that require a little bit deeper thought or maybe are a more unique situation from time to time? And then what can we learn about those principles that we can apply to our own lives? We'll dive into that as well. But first, before we get to any of that, it's time to see what's happening in the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. Charles, a recent headline uh, that I saw was a, a report by Experian, and it says that the average payment for Americans buying new cars is now at a, get this, all-time high of $523 a month. Does this seem like bad news to you? $523 a month seems, for some people, like a lot of money. For other people, not like a lot of money. But I think it's interesting that I'm old enough to know that I paid more for my last car than I did for my first house. And I think that's the way it is with a lot of people. And I think... I think the whole automobile question is a fascinating one when it comes to planning. I will ask you this question, Walter. What are the four most, for people going into retirement, what are the four most expensive items they have to deal with? And I'll give you a hint on a couple of them. Um, It's housing and food. What's, what's, so pick Uh, the other Housing, food, healthcare's got to be in there, right? Yes, that's number three. Healthcare and... Uh, travel. Okay. Transportation. Yeah. Okay. Transportation. Mm-hmm. Travel is part of it. And it also is just the cost of having a car or two cars potentially in retirement because you got all the other costs. It's fuel insurance. It's maintenance. It's, you know, it's, it's all of that stuff. And if I was a, as an investment, if I said to you, I have an investment, I'm going to let you invest $523 a month in this. That's over a course of three years. That's going to be about 18000 almost $19,000 you're going to put into this. And I'm going to guarantee you, virtually guarantee you, that it's going to be worth about half of what it was when we started. How would that sound? Yeah. It's a car. That's depreciation. That, that's that's, that's going the in the lot. opposite direction of what I want it to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet people... You know, people do this all the time. And then when you're retired and you have two cars, you really need two cars. I mean, it's a really challenging issue. 
And I don't think it's one that people really think about. So we always try to bring it up and make sure that people understand this is something that you need to pay attention to. People have asked over the years, should I buy or should I lease? I say, I don't know. There's no good answer. I can't, you know, I can't do the math that makes any sense. Our contention for us personally is we treat our car and its payment like a utility bill. It's something you're always going to have to have. So we lease. We just do it that way. You still have insurance. You still have gas. You still have service. You still have all these things. A car is one of those black holes of financial planning. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's, there's, to me, there's no right answer. Uh, I think you just have to understand what, it, what it's really going to cost you. And yeah, $523 a month for something that that's just a month. And how many years are you paying that? Most people are taking out five or six year car loans. Uh, the one thing I will say about new cars is the technology is advancing so rapidly that it's really cool mm-hmm. because, you know, you can self-park. My, you know, our car will break itself if I'm going too fast and coming up and behind somebody, you know, too quickly. Uh, that's neat. But they are an expensive proposition. So yeah. that's almost you know, an excuse like, to go the lease route, though, to get the you'll, you'll always be getting those cars with the newer technology rather than them being outdated at the t- at the end of your payments. You know, you get rid of that payment and that's time to if you want the latest technology. Now you're just starting the payment process all over again. That's yes. I, in fact, we had this conversation with our 32 year old daughter last weekend. It was she had had her cars old enough that she's starting to have to put a little bit of expense into it. And we've had she knows how it works. Um, but it's like, OK, so it's paid off. But, you know, how do you want to deal with this? And she said, well, I really like the car. I said, I understand. But you're way behind on technology. And I was like, oh, OK. I said, so just start planning for a couple of years from now. Once your maintenance costs are annoyingly high to just bite the bullet and you've got a down payment because you'll have a car that's still a reasonably decent car and you've saved some money for an additional down payment and then you go the, the new car route. And so, you know, that's kind of a commonsensical way to do it. And there is absolutely, in my opinion, no good answer to the car question. Now, uh, one thing to keep in mind here and then we'll move on to the next thing. That's an average. 523 <laughs> that's so some it's some people it's more than that um uh, just keep just oh, yeah. keep keep that in mind <laughs> now that makes me feel way better yeah thanks walter well there's some that would be on the lower end so you know it all it's all it all averages out to that number so that's there, there's some good and bad to take with you but that is kind of interesting to analyze well there you go a little bit of what's happening in the news and uh kind of take away from that is it's worth a conversation to see what makes the most sense for you. And for some people that might be, yeah, take on that $500 a month car payment. Others might be, no, don't do that. There's other options, other ways for you to go. Good analysis there, Charles. That's what's happening in the news. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Time to open up the mailbag and answer one of your questions on today's show. If you'd like to submit a question to be featured on a future program, you can do that by going to PelotonCapital.com. That's PelotonCapital.com. This one comes to us from Danica in Peoria. Uh, Danica says, I've heard differing theories about the idea of using a life insurance as an investment. Charles, what's your take? That's a tough one in a lot of instances, and I really think what you're hearing from different people depends on who you're listening to. If you listen to the, the, the so-called gurus, most of them will say it's a terrible investment. Um, and it depends, it depends on who you are. It depends on your circumstances. It depends on lots of different variables. 
And I would say you can sort of break it into two different categories. Term insurance, which is you're paying the least amount that you can possibly pay for the most death benefit that you can possibly have. And that makes a lot of sense for people when they're younger and they have kids because they're trying to, you know, stave off the financial realities of what happens if the breadwinner of a young family is suddenly dies. So term insurance in that context makes the whole a whole bunch of sense. The other side of it is cash value. And cash value is sort of that forced savings plan. And there's a couple of different versions of it. And before, I don't want to get down in the weeds with this too terribly much, but there are some significant potential advantages to it if you can afford the payment because it's going to cost you more, but you've got a lot more flexibility built into it. So you might want to, you know, there's there's the possibility, you know, there's the reality that you could have some term insurance for something, and you might have the idea of putting other dollars into either a whole life policy, which is typically going to be a dividend that the insurance company pays you that adds to the cash value buildup. It's like a savings account of the interest dividends that that insurance company is going to pay. Or you could have what's a little bit newer version of it, and that's an, in, an index universal life kind of policy, which you could index, you could link it to like an index like the S&P 500, where you're going to get some of the upside of that growth of that index. You're going to have none of the downside because it protects you. That's one of the benefits of this in that context is you never, your account value would never go down. But the, you know, the actual dollars you're paying every month are more than you would pay for term insurance, but you're not buying a death benefit like you do in term insurance. I would say you're buying a living benefit because if you put the money into this and if you do it over a long enough period of time, and depending on what you can afford to do, if and when you want to take dollars out, they come out tax-free. So you've got after-tax dollars have gone in to pay the premiums. A portion of that is buying life insurance on you, and a portion of that is going into investment, basically an investment bucket. But those dollars, when they come out, if you take them out correctly, and you got to follow the rules that the IRS and the insurance world have you follow, if you do that, then those dollars can come out at any time for any reason on a tax-free basis of the growth, not just the dollars that went in, but all the growth. It's an interesting idea. It's very dependent on the financial capabilities of people making the payment. And it is not just an, an either or kind of thing. You could certainly blend them together in a lot of instances. And then there's some tax advantages to these whole life cash value kinds of universal index, universal life kinds of policies that can have a significantly positive impact on people. It's one of those. It's one of the true only ways that you can get tax free dollars out in retirement. You can't do that with an IRA. If you had a pension, you're going to in retirement, you're going to get taxed on that. This is one of those places where it can be uh, tax free income in retirement. So it's worth considering, but you it's got a lot of moving parts. Uh, term, term insurance, that basic death benefit idea is pretty simple. I'm going to pay X number of dollars and I'm going to get X number, you know, X dollars of death benefit. And the, the cash value kinds of policies are more complicated. They got more moving parts. There's no question about it. And you just want to be sure that you're accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And you have to be really clear about what the purpose is. If you are, then it can be a very valuable tool. If you're not clear and you, you for Pete's sake, don't get talked into it. If it makes sense, it'll make sense. Uh, you need to understand it. You need to take the time to, to read the material and understand why it could be an, ad, an advantage. And it's not just for people that are older. There's, it's, in certain instances, we have a young client who's making a lot of money and is, you know, my suggestion was, hey, here's a, 
here's a, I gave him a book to read about it. And it's like, go read this book because I think it's a really interesting idea. I think it would be very applicable to you. And, uh, you know, he's young enough that if you do this over a long enough period of time, he could have a boatload of money that he can get out tax-free someday. Mm-hmm. So that's a long answer to what, for most people, seems to be like a simple question. Should I, well, how do I do this? Is it an investment idea? Good idea or not? Um, you know, I'm not going to name names of all the people that are out there on the radio and saying, ooh, bad idea, bad idea. But it's yeah. not a bad idea. It just depends. Right. My and, favorite answer to most questions is it depends. Right, right. Well, I, I, I'm not afraid to name name a name. And, uh, you know, I think Dave Ramsey falls into that camp, uh, into that camp of life insurance is not an investment and kind of puts it out there as a blanket statement, right? I mean, was that was it was he on your mind as one you were mentioning? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. And, and I, and I like I like Dave a lot. But keep in mind who his too. advice is for. It's for people who are struggling. I mean, and I mean, massively, most of the time struggling to get out of debt. And you know what? If that's your situation, then yes, life insurance should not be viewed as an investment. <laughs> You've got other things to focus on. That's probably uh, a piece of advice that makes a lot of sense. But if that's not you, then it, it doesn't hold as much water, right? Oh, that, absolutely. And the only issue with folks that, ha- that, that speak in those great big generalities is that they will tell you that it's everybody should do this. Well, no, not everybody should. Most probably should. But not everybody. Yeah. So it's you know. Well, that it just it words words matter. Right. You know that we've had this 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 comes up all the time in the way I deal with issues right. financial. I won't um, I won't let you do your routine though where you say um, you know there are no such things as ab- absolutes. <laughs> I won't let you do that this time. Well, there's absolutely not. <laughs> oh, you still did it. Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you give me a perfect segue there in saying that, sure, for most people, that's probably good advice, but there are some folks where that's going to be bad advice for them. And it leads into our main topic of conversation for today, some of the unique planning challenges that we see people um, you know, dealing with from time to time. This isn't most people or all people, but sometimes these things pop up, and I know that you've got experience in dealing with these things. Uh, Charles, and so you've kind of helped walk people down this road before. I'll throw out a few scenarios. You tell us about how you help people navigate these unique planning challenges, um, because I think some of these things, although they are unique from the norm, plenty of people still go through them. Uh, One great example of that would be an age gap. Uh, Somebody uh, who is a lot older than their spouse uh, you've got, you know, a decent amount of years between the two. We're not talking just, you know, one or two years older here, but a significant age gap that's present. What are some of the considerations and challenges that get presented with that scenario? And how do you help sort of problem solve those challenges? This is really just very, very fresh in our minds here in the office in that we have a couple of very nice clients that uh, they've been very successful financially and he retired. He just turned 65. So Medicare kicked in for him. His wife is nine years younger than he is and is not hasn't is retired also um trying to find health insurance for her (laughs) has been a gigantic challenge of finding something that's even remotely interesting and you know it's he's actually considered going back to work just to be able to get insurance on her at some kind of a reasonable cost and our suggestion was why doesn't she go back to work because she's the one that needs the insurance um you know, but we've been working with insurance specialists because we know enough about that subject matter to be dangerous. But, you know, we don't know what's out there in the marketplace. And I said earlier, there's not a lot. The Affordable Care Act really changed the dynamics of somebody being able to go out and find 
good quality individual insurance policies for themselves. So this is one of those instances where uh, they had worked with someone previous to coming to work with us and the idea of, I just don't think this was one of the areas that got addressed in that, in the conversations that they had with their previous advisor. And, you know, we tried to tackle it from the get go and it worked fine for part of the time that he was, you know, he'd cobra his insurance from his former employer, major employer here in the Valley. And, you know, but we really didn't factor in or they didn't understand the importance of knowing what the impact was going to be on his wife because of a significant age difference. That's one of the biggest things that we have come across more and more. And it just happened within the last six weeks for us, for this particular client. Hmm. So it's one of those things that you really need to pay attention to because you can either pay a gob of money for crappy health insurance or not much money and get even crappier health insurance. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, until you get the Medicare and then it's, you know, that it works out pretty well. But there's a long time between that gap. You know, it's like go to go to Starbucks and be a barista, work 20 hours a week, and you have full health care. Um, but that wasn't an option that they wanted to consider. So it's it, that that's a definite challenge, and it's not it's not unique. Um, even even if you're closer in age, if you're you know 65 and 63 and a half, you still got a year and a half till you get to 65. It's something that people hadn't thought about it because they haven't been impacted by the, the Affordable Care Act and the, and the changes that have happened in that in, you know individual private insurance marketplace because they've one of them has, or both of them have been employed and now they're not. And it's it's just wildly different than it used to be. Yep. So they have to be aware. It's just planning, but it's you know it's thinking about all of the potential what could happens in your life and this is one of them. Well, another one that falls into that same conversation, I think, is a unique planning challenge of somebody saying, you know what, I can't make it to 62 or 65 or whatever the assumed retirement age for them might be. And they say, you know what, I want to retire before I even get to age 60. Maybe it's in their mid or late 50s they want to retire. But a lot of people overlook the challenges that that's going to present. Well, I think there's two main challenges. Um, and, And one of them is, what are they going to do every day? And I may have said this, but we, we ask people this all the time. Take a blank calendar. You know, 30 days is fine. Just take a piece of paper and make a, you know, draw one up. Draw two horizontal lines through every day, morning, afternoon, and evening, and write down what you're going to do. Because And people go, oh, cripes, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to travel. Are you going to travel every day, all the time? What are you going to do? Some have a really good bucket list of stuff they want to do, or I'm going to volunteer, or I've got this, or I've got that. That's super. Playing golf every day becomes a job, I think. But they, that's one of the things they need to be aware of. The other thing, and this is something that's very interesting, and I read this article last month in Financial Advisor magazine. This was written by another advisor, but there was a study done by, published in the Journal of, I'm going to read this so that I get it right. In 2016, study journal in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health, suggesting that retiring early may actually increase your risk of dying early. Findings showed that healthy people who postponed retirement and chose to retire a year later than those in a comparison group had an 11% lower risk of dying early. Wow. Significant. Early retirement's bad for your health. And there's, there's a couple of other studies that were quoted in this article. 
it's just fascinating to me. There's a U United Kingdom study. Retirement increases the possibility, probability of having at least one diagnosed physical condition. Physical condition increases that by 60%, and suffering from clinical depression is increased by 40%. Wow. So <clears throat> that was wildly new to me. I had never even remotely considered that. But I thought that's something that we need to build into our conversation now with folks as we take them through the path of what are you going to, not just what are you going to do, can you afford to do it, obviously, and <clears throat> how is it going to impact your health? And they need to be aware of some of this stuff. I'd never thought about it. It, it's an entertaining uh, an entertaining side thought here, uh, Charles, just along these uh, same lines. I was at a, uh, a friend's birthday celebration uh, just a couple of days ago, in fact, and was talking to someone who I hadn't seen in about a year or two. And uh, we were, my wife and I were just catching up with, with them and just kind of seeing how life was treating them and what was going on. And they said, oh, we're, you know, we're pretty, pretty good. Um, I was asking about how work was going. And, and she said, well, I'm semi-retired now. I was like semi-retired. What 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 does that mean? What what and what about your no your husband? She, yeah, he's semi-retired as well. <laughs> and I was like, well, hold on, you guys are this. You guys are thirty. <laughs> okay. What, what is semi-retired? And they said, well, you know, we just uh, we have a small house that we're happy with, and um, we make enough that we can go and do our traveling like we want to do, and. We just are kind of tired of working full weeks, so we're just kind of semi-retired. I work twice a week, and uh, and you know we make enough to to still still do our trips and pay the bills, and you know that we're 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 happy. And I'm just it's just totally different mindset. It, it just illustrates the totally different mindsets that some people have because all I'm sitting there doing is going, "What are you doing with yourself the rest of the week?" <laughs> well, that's that, that would be my that would be my question. I mean, kudos to them for recognizing what they wanted and figuring out how to achieve it. Sure. And it, and it's a great. testament to living within your means, I suppose. They've kind of said we're happy oh, yeah. with this lifestyle and if we don't have to work, you know, 40, 50 hour a week jobs, then we don't have to, but it's still just kind of funny of the, you know. I mean, shoot, I you know, I think I could go for a 4-day work week. That sounds pretty nice. I think I could live with with a 3-day weekend and and it not get too boring too quickly. But uh only only working twice a week and not having a whole lot else going on. Yeah, that would that start to drive me a little crazy, I think. Uh, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, and we were in the grocery business in a, you know, in a small town in Western Washington. And I remember getting off work. Didn't work during the school year because I was playing sports all the time. And but in the summertime, I would, you know, fill in in the meat market in yep. the meat department there because it was a thriving business at that point in time. And I used to have to get off work early to go play little league baseball games. Yeah. So yeah, I just that's I work. My yep. dad worked. His family worked. We just. We work. I don't know. I've got other things I like to do, but sure. I like to work. It's fun. P part of the fabric of who you are, you know. If you're having fun, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. And I and I realize if we're talking to somebody who's been trudging through their job for thirty years, well, it's probably a different conversation at that point. But I thought the anecdote of Very the thirty-year-old talking about uh, you know yeah. being semi-retired was kind of just a funny a funny way of looking at things. Like they and the, they're well, still planning to have kids. That's a life choice they're happy with. I was so like, cool. I was like, you realize when you have kids, you're probably not going to be able to stay semi-retired, right? <laughs> Oh, what doesn't that change? So that's a whole nother. Yes, a whole nother. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast there, right?
Well, there's one more unique planning challenge that I want to make sure that we get into, Charles, but we promised that this would be a very, uh, you know, positive show and that, uh, you know, we were going to keep it upbeat and exciting. And, you know, to end it on this next point, I think, would would kind of undo all of our goodwill from earlier in the podcast. So what we'll do is actually give this some special attention in the next podcast. One other unique planning challenge, which, unfortunately, these days, we could probably drop the unique part of this statement, Charles, is when somebody is going through a divorce and they get shell-shocked after kind of seeing those assets get cut in half from a divorce. We're going to spend a little bit more time on that conversation because it's so important, because it's becoming less and less unique, um, because it's really important to make sure that we give that some due attention. So we're going to do that on the next podcast. Uh, Between now and then, if you've got any questions, you're in the Scottsdale area, you want to come in and meet with Charles and the team at Peloton Capital Management, talk about your particular situation. Maybe you've got a unique planning challenge that you need to work through. Uh, Charles and his team have a lot of experience helping people attack these different issues and finding the right solutions. If you'd like to start the conversation, it's very easy to do so. Just call 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. And you can always, again, find us online at pelotoncapital.com. Charles, thanks for the guidance on this week's show, and we'll talk to you again soon. Always fun, Walter. Thank you. That's Charles Scott. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time on Financial Choices Matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.